Hello and welcome to another episode of History Bluffs, where truth is stranger than fiction. I want to welcome to the show your host, Alan. Hello! Welcome again to yet another episode of History Bluffs, where truth is stranger than fiction. I am your host, Alan. And that person you just heard was our Tech Adam. Hi, Tech Adam. Hello, Alan. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. It's good to hear you, Adam. But uh, thank you so much for running all of our tech, which I have a newfound appreciation because I did recently tech history bluffs, and it is a lot more difficult. You did a great job. Than you make it out to. You did a great job. You did a great Uh, job. But uh, you know what? Thank you. Oh, thank you. I. Without further ado, I want to get to our armchair historians. Uh, first, let's bring up Mr. Chris Barry. How are you, Chris? Oh, hello. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Excellent. Excellent. Nice to have you, Chris. I'm going to go one after the other. Now I'm going to go all the way out to Chicago for our good friend Carlos Rivera. Carlos, how you doing, my friend? Hello, I'm doing good. How are you doing, Alan? I'm doing well, doing well. Is it just as hot and humid up there as it is down here? 81 degrees today, but it was like 98 yesterday at 5 o'clock. Yikes. Wow. Yowza. Well, that's uh, that's tough. That is rough. Um, you know, actually, we've had some dry weather uh, for a couple of days for some reason in Florida, so that's kind of a... An anomaly as far as sinners. You're sinners, and uh, God is punishing you. Punishing us with the dry heat? Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> not God. That's hell. You're feeling huh? hell. hell ah, is there we go. Oh, That makes sense. Okay. All right. Well, judge not, lest ye be judged, Carlos. Um, oh, well, you know what? We've got another. Oh, He's judgmental. Oh. Carlos is never not judgmental. That's what I know about him. But mm-hmm. judging from the fact that we only have three armchair historians, well, we have two so far, let's bring out our third, Mr. Darren Humphrey. Hey, Darren. Hey, Alan. Ooh. <laughs> let's see. You got some sort of a mask going on there. Is that a tribal mask? What is that? No, no. This is a, a Mardi Gras mask from my oh. hometown of New Orleans, Louisiana. Is that where you oh. hail from? It is. Fun. So That's as a kid nice. growing up in New Orleans, how was that? Uh, I I went to Mardi Gras and I got my hand stepped on by a man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they probably are not equipped to deal with children. Makes sense. All right. And then, uh, as a result, you grew up into someone who is not a particular Mardi Gras type, right? That's true. True. You're you're not the party booze hound that you might see vomiting all over Bourbon Street. So that's fun. I vomit at oh. home, like a responsible. Yeah, it's man. true. You vomit. <laughs> you vomit where you're supposed to vomit, Darren, and that's the right way to do it. I think. Don't vomit um, and drive. Yes, please don't. Please be responsible when you're vomiting. And um, you know what, Adam? I think we got to uh, give the topic of the day to our armchair historians because the topic of the day today is the word lower. That's uh-huh. right, lower. You guys can interpret that any way you like. And while you are getting your notes gathered together, I'm going to explain the rules of History Bluffs with our brand new card that our... um, There we go. Nice. There it is. All right. So the rules are up. The rules are up. Rules are up. Historians are inspired by the topic. 
the true stories are factual, the bluff story is fictional, and no help is allowed by the audience. So, there you have it. Everything good? That's pretty straightforward. All right, Question. excellent. Can I get yes, help my from the audience? You cannot get help from the audience. I just adjusted my camera resolution if that helped the tech situation. I'm not sure if it did. Oh, possibly. Uh, that was a good idea. No, you are not getting help from the audience. Uh, audience, keep to yourselves, but you can make comments on who you think might be the bluffer because this is fun. It's interactive. That's what we like to do. We like to play off our live audience. And oh, another thing, we will have three rounds. The first round is 75 seconds. The second round is 60 seconds. And the final and third round is 45 seconds. At the end, we will determine who is a true armchair historian and who is the history bluff. Ooh. Mm -hmm. You guys ready? Ready. Sure. Excellent. All right, Adam, I think it's time for our first round. Round one. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, all right, Chris. We're yes. going to go with you to kick off round one, and we're going to bring up a timer for you. And once you hear the cannon bang, it's going to be your turn to start. You ready, Adam? Ready. All right. Bringing up that timer, that sundial, and start with a bang. All right. Well, my topic, uh, the word lower for me, inspired thoughts of uh, the upper and lower houses of parliament and our friends over in the UK. And I'm going to tell us a tale of some fisticuffs and other uh, debauchery that happened on the floor of parliament in the mid-1800s. Um, of course, you have the upper house of parliament, which is the lords and dukes and earls and what have you. And then there's the lower house representing the common people. And they have representatives in, in the lower house. Well, in the mid-1800s, the British parliament was in a heated battle over uh, the, the um, uh, fate of Ireland. They were battling over whether they were going to, um, they were debating whether they were going to give Ireland independence or not. Um, so the, there was a party called the Irish Home Rule Party. Um, and they brought in what was the equivalent, what we now know today as a hockey goon. They brought in this guy named Eamon Reeves. I believe it's E-A-M-O-N. Eamon Reeves, I think that's how you spell it. Um, but he was elected with the backing of this Irish Home Rule Party. And he was effectively like a hockey goon. He was elected basically to fight on the floor of Parliament. Um, he was a classic yes man. He was paid to go along with what they said and intimidate people. More to come. Mm. More to come indeed. Wow, a lot of a uh, lot of uh, intimidation, physical intimidation, like you would expect from a hockey goon, but in an Irish official setting. Carlos, what say ye on this story so far? Uh, well, to speak in the Irish language, that sounded like a bunch of malarkey, uh, <laughs> if you will. Uh, I think that I think that's Irish in origin. Uh, Chris is uh, is a. Uh, a liar, and someone needs to kick him in the Blarney Stone uh, for Pippin. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, excuse okay. me, Blarney Stones. Stones, plural. <laughs> that makes more sense. Yes, thank you. All Quite right, uh, Darren, what, what say you? Well, you know, I didn't really hear much discussion of Guinness in that story, and uh, <laughs> that, to me, is a big red flag. 
Mm. Yeah, it's, it's not really Irish if there's no Guinness. So, no, no, sir. Chris, you got to get on that to prove the validity. All right, we'll see how that goes. Uh, Carlos, yo, it's round one, and I think it's your turn sure. to give your story. Feeling starts good. with a cannon boom. Well, lower, of course, makes me think of upper, uh, as in upper deckers. So here's the history of that. No, uh, I'm going to talk about the, the origin of lowercase letters, right? Mm. And to speak about lowercase letters, we got to talk about the origin of letters and the origin of the written word, which goes all the way back to Mesopotamia. One day, the Mesopotamians were sitting around and they're like, I got so many ideas, but I don't know how to preserve them, man. If I tell you, will you remember? And sometimes their boys would remember and sometimes they wouldn't. So they had to figure out a way to keep this stuff stored down. So they created writing. It started with pictorial signs that kind of look like the stuff they were talking about, but then was gradually substituted by a complex system of characters representing the sound of Sumerian, which was the language uh, of Sumer in Southern Mesopotamia and other languages. Uh, and then from 2900 BC, these, these letters, these words began to be impressed in wet clay with a reed stylus making wedge-shaped marks, which are now known as cuneiform. And that's the beginning of my tale. Mm, fascinating, Carlos. Thank you. Darren, what do you think of that case? of lower case you know this the sounds of sumerian i'm pretty sure he was just reading a simon and garfunkel album cover mm. and just riffing off that um you know <laughs> that I, makes I sense yeah sure why not <laughs> chris what do you think well uh, you know i'm i'm uh i wouldn't say on the same page as darren but i think i'm in the same ballpark as darren uh, I, although i will say this I, i'm skeptical of carlos but uh, Mesopotamia, Mesopotamian, Sumer, Sumerian, all fun words to say. So right now, I give him the benefit of the doubt. Oh, a word of endorsement from Chris Barry. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, you know what time it is, though? We got to go with our third historian. And it's time for Darren to tell us what story was inspired by the word lower. Darren, when you hear that cannon shot, it's okay. your time. All right. So uh, I'm rocking this Mardi Gras mask in honor of my hometown of New Orleans, which is where my story takes place. And this story this week has a title. It's called A Pretty Pilot. And uh, it takes place in a particular part of New Orleans called the Lower Ninth Ward. Now, the Ninth Ward has been a home to a few famous people like Fats Domino, uh, John Larroquette, the actor, and the Batiste family. So you might be familiar with John Batiste, the band leader for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Well, he's from the Ninth Ward. But as great as all these guys are, uh, my story is not about a guy who's famous. It's not about a guy at all. It's about something better. It's about a woman who broke barriers by doing what was at the time considered to be a man's job. And the time was the year 1893, and the woman was Mary Doolett, the wife of Milton Doolett. And both Mary and Milton had the same job. They were riverboat captains. And Mary is believed to be the first female riverboat captain to be licensed to pilot a steamboat on the Mississippi River. So we can thank Mary Doolett for proving once and for all there's plenty of room for women in Old Man River. 
Ooh. Wow. Fascinating, fascinating. A woman pioneering on a paddle boat. Uh, Carlos, what do you think? Oh, boy. Um, you know what? Paddle boats and, and the Ninth Ward, that just gives me flashbacks of Katrina. And oh, I don't no. want to be taken back to Katrina, man. Uh, yeah, I don't need that negative juju. Wow. Uh, you know what, Darren? Uh, it might be true because I don't know that you would get that dark. So maybe. <laughs> Maybe he's telling the truth. Okay. If he's willing to take it there. Maybe he's telling the truth. All right. Well, uh, Chris, did you uh, did you have similar flashbacks in your recollection of the story, or did you have another? I, I had. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it a flashback, but a, a, a brief flash across my mind of the lower. When we stood in the lower ninth ward, I immediately did think of that. But I was caught up once again on the sounds of the words that they're saying. That I don't know why, but that's what I'm focused on this first round so far. I'll get more in-depth, I promise, in later rounds. But Mary Doulette, I'm sorry, and her husband, I didn't catch his name, but they're both Riverboat captains. That's phenomenal. But I think in New Orleans, wouldn't it be Doulet or some other like more Cajun, French-sounding name? So I'm a little skeptical based on the pronunciation of Mary Doulette's last name. Also, Alan, if I may, now that I think about it, of all the names, all the celebs, that Darren dropped as being from this region. He didn't mention Harry Connick Jr. once. Oh, uh, not once. Well, How he's not from the Ninth Ward. Harry Connick Jr. Oh. He's not from the Ninth Ward, but he's he from he? New Orleans. Hmm. And he Apparently, also he listed, he listed John Larroquette. He listed John Larroquette over the Baptiste family. The Baptiste family is a famous musical family in there. I, I, I'm, I'm skeptical. Well, he did list the Baptiste, though. So, but after John Larroquette? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> good, good thing he's Nightport. on TV now with uh, Melissa Rausch on the. I'm a big Nightcourt fan. Okay. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Nightcourt is back, ladies and gentlemen. And John Larroquette is here to see it through. All right. Well, that was fun. That was a fun first round, Adam. What Indeed. do you think? Uh, what do you think we should do now? I think the only way to go here from here is round round two. <laughs> New Orleans, is, New Orleans is 16 minutes from the lower ninth ward. What are we even talking about? It's There's different places, Carlos. Five miles away. All Come right. on, Carlos. For you all live intents in... and purposes. Come on. The whole Chicago area is not Lincoln Park, right? Yeah, but if someone says they're from Schaumburg and you say Chicago, you give it to them. <laughs> and that's more than five miles. <laughs> well, anyway, we're in round two where the time limit has reduced to only a minute. Mm -hmm. And um, you know what? I was fascinated by Darren's uh, take on New Orleans. So we're going to let him start round two. Darren, oh, your time starts with a bang. All right. Down to 60 seconds on this round, Alan. Let's do it. Here we go. Okay. So in addition to breaking barriers for women, by the way, 27 years before women even had the right to vote in America, Mary and her husband, Milton, they left a more enduring kind of legacy in the form of the Dulut Steamboat Houses, which are two unique houses built in 1905 and 1913. And the architecture of the houses were inspired by the steamboats that Mary and Milton both piloted and also a trip to the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis, where Mary became enthralled with the Japanese pavilion. And so 
they built these houses as sort of a combination of steamboats and uh, Japanese pagoda-style roofs. They wrapped the, the whole bottom floor in ceramic tile. And both of the houses are still standing today, and they were named Historic Landmarks in 1977. All right. You yield the remainder of your time, I suppose. There you go. Okay. Well, uh, Carlos, what is your take on that New Orleans story now? Uh, my take is that Darren's uh, lie, his bluff was so small that he ran out of time. Uh, <laughs> but he put it early because he's not speaking from a historical fact, which would give him enough rich material to continue through the buzzer, Alan. Makes perfect sense to oh, me. So I've been a Hershey bluffer. Yes. Harry Connick Jr., New Orleans, Lower Ninth Ward, very close together, same difference. <laughs> All right, I've been well, doing this uh, four times now, and I still don't know the length of each round. <laughs> That's perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. Uh, Chris, what's your take? Well, uh, I am a fan of uh, pagoda roofs and that style of architecture. I'm a big fan of ceramic tile. However, still caught up on the names. He went from pronouncing Mary Dulet in the first round to Dulut in the second round. Uh, and so that makes me think, okay, he's making this up on the fly. Forgot how he pronounced it in the first round. So I believe he might be the bluffer. Well, okay. Interesting. Yes, we've got two people voting for Darren being the bluffer. Uh, speaking of bluffers... I uh, I think uh, Chris should get a, a shot at this. I don't know why I've just implicated you're the bluffer, but I have. Anyway, Chris, <laughs> well, it's about I'm... politics, though. So there you go. All right. So, Chris, I'm... you're going to get a bang, and you know what that means. All right. I, and just for the record, I'm simultaneously flattered and offended at your insinuation. Um, so, uh, so Eamon Reeves is this uh, loosely labeled gentleman from Ireland uh, who's effectively a goon brought in. Um, and, and this guy was like a rough character. He was rumored to have killed someone literally a month before he was elected to uh, parliament. Uh, but he was, like I said, he was just a yes man, probably paid in Guinness, but he played, paid handsomely to be a yes man and just go along with whatever that the Irish Home Party, Irish Home Rule Party was going for. Um, and um, there was a, uh, a, a Tory, they called the uh, members of parliament, they call them MPs. There was a Tory MP named Michael Gartner from Yorkshire. Um, he was a vocal opponent of Irish independence. And uh, they still, to this day, don't know whatever happened to Michael Gartner, but uh, he just didn't show up for a vote once. And there was heavy suspicion that this Reeves guy was involved and more to come on what happened in the next round. Wow. Goodness. And we thought our politics was rough. Carlos, what's your take? My take is everyone that knows Lord of the Rings knows it would be pronounced Yorkshire. That's number mm. one. Uh, and number two, I don't know, paved with Guinness. Uh, isn't that like assuming that Australians drink Foster's beer? I mean, uh, do do the Irish drink Guinness? Is that really a thing? Or yes, is that just some branding marketing scam in America? <laughs> they drink Guinness. It's And it's actually better over there. I've tasted it. Mm. I don't think they would have the patience to do all the stuff with the ruler and making sure the heads make. No, they just need beer the slam. Carlos, <laughs> underestimating the Irish and mm. uh, going right against the request specifically for Chris to include Guinness mentions in round two. So, wow. Okay. There's 
we're getting it from all sides. Uh, Darren, what do you think? I, I personally, I'm satisfied with the level of Guinness that was included in that round. Um, Fair. But, but I'm disappointed that you mentioned Yorkshire without talking about Yorkshire pudding, mm. which I think is a more likely murder weapon to kill a Yorkshireman. <laughs> to drown him in Yorkshire pudding batter. It would need to be a lot of it. Yeah. Okay. All There's right, a lot fair. of it in Yorkshire. That, that would make sense. Yes. All right. Well, um, let's see. We've got uh, we've got we got to go to someone else. Carlos, you haven't told us your second round version of your story on the lowercase alphabet, and I'd like to hear that after the cannon shoots. All right, let's jump to ancient Rome, okay? So now letters are all over the place. People are writing up a storm. Monks are transcribing things. They're transcribing Bibles. They're transcribing other things. They're writing it down by hand. You may notice that in some of the old inscriptions, Latin alphabet, it's carved like in all caps of equal size. This writing is known as Roman majuscule, all right? means all capital script. Okay, but then the language starts to evolve. Okay, again, monks, they get a little lazy. They start changing the letter shapes and sizes a little bit. Uh, we go from a uncial script to a half uncial script. Okay, we see some of the bigger letters looking like the smaller letters. Big B starts to look like little B. Big D starts to look like little D. We start to see the development of lowercase letters, and they're called minuscule script, okay? And that can be traced to the courts of the early French king Charlemagne in the late 700s. Fascinating. Oh, wow. Um, Chris, what do you think? All right. I have something there. There uh, in, in this show, we've become a, a bit of... Um, more attuned at watching people as they're telling these stories. And Carlos very indicatively took a very deep breath in the middle. Was that perhaps to figure out where he was in his bluff story and figure out, did I say that part? Did I not say that part? Let me get my bearing straight. I caught that moment, my friend. I'm calling you out on that deep breath in there. Uh, so I, I uh, now I'm, I'm now I'm skeptical. I think either one of them could be the bluff. I, I um, yeah. Chris, the human lie detector. Uh, Darren, what what did you think? Uh, I'm I'm actually personally I'm kind of lost because I'm old enough that I had an Apple II computer that didn't have lowercase letters in it, so I never learned lowercase letters. I assume they exist, uh, but I've only ever seen uppercase letters. And wow. I did study Latin in high school, which was, in fact, all in uppercase. Hmm. I was not aware that Apple didn't uh, didn't have lowercase. That's oh, they didn't uh, come until the Apple two E. Goodness, right. I had a two plus. So oh my goodness, wow. Well, so the typewriter eight. had that on Steve Jobs, apparently. Well, RAM, two floppy drives. Fascinating. That was a fascinating second round, but uh, the only thing that's more fascinating than that round is the next round, Adam. You must mean round three. <laughs> Yes, I did. That is exactly what I meant, Adam. And this round, our round's going to be only 45 seconds apiece, correct? That is correct. All right, that's excellent. Well, I don't think uh, Carlos got to start any of the rounds. Is that correct, Carlos? So how about we let you 
do the honors and wrap it up, wrap up your story after that cannon shoots. Okay. All right, so Core of Early French King Charlemagne. We got monks and scholars starting to use the lowercase because it's quicker to write with the with the lowercase. They're not calling it that yet. They're still calling it minuscule script. Uh, they have to manuscript a bunch of books that can take months. So obviously they want to be able to write it the quicker, shorter way. So they use the minuscule script, right? Uh, then eventually we get to typing and the printing press. And here is where it all happens. Johannes Gutenberg invents the leather press printing process with movable metal type. Uh, you know, we, the typesetters have to put in all the leathers. And here we go. The leathers were stored in cases, one upper for the big leathers, one lower for the small leathers. It's because of the cases the leathers were stored in that we call lowercase, lowercase. Oh, wow. The location of the cases, Carlos? The storage system. That's, That's where they call it lowercase. To put it, amazing. Uh, wow. So, Chris, what's what do you think? I think that's a bunch of hooey. Uh, if uh, in all caps, by the way. Um, it, it, if they had, if they had Tupperware and Ziploc baggies back then, would we know uh, lowercase letters as Ziplocs now? Because that's a I mean, it, I don't. I just, I, based on the, it seems awfully convenient. I, I, I don't believe it. Mm. Bluff, bluff. Wow, bluff. He's called you out, Carlos. Darren, what do you think of the upper lowercase re revelation? So the logic here is that they spent so much money on the printing press they could only afford one case for the letters. <laughs> and two cases, an upper drawer, upper and lower one, drawer. And the lower one. Not into two separate cases. No, no, no. Okay, so yes, one drawer system. Yeah, that that seems very specific. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, all right. So Darren, Darren, not quite sold here. Interesting. Uh, Darren, how about this? How about you do uh, your take on lower and wrap up this uh, trip to New Orleans after that cannon fires? Okay. I've been sensing some skepticism on my story. So instead of taking my word for it, why don't I read you a contemporary account? And this is from July 29th, 1893, published in the Daily Picayune. It's a newspaper in New Orleans. And it's an article about Mary Doolet titled, A Pretty Pilot. And here's the quote. The lady is a pilot of ability, but will only employ her talents for the pleasure of herself and others as the commander of the launch James D. Houston, which runs on Ship Island Canal in Lake Borgna. She can find her way in the dark along either stream, and neither her husband nor her friends know of any pilot to whom they would sooner entrust themselves. Wow. Okay. An interesting take on a, a woman pioneering river navigation back in the days of mark twain carlos what uh, what do you think i feel like there isn't enough passive aggressive sass in the writings of dudes from that time period for it to be accurate that sounded very contemporary and not at all like i can't believe that she could do this 
what's next or what an original thing that only one woman can do and what's no that? other woman can do because that's how they would say it back then because they were mean alan and that article mm. sounds like someone wrote it today oh. like darren darren wrote it today in <laughs> his head right now but in uppercase or did i use a mix <laughs> <laughs> Mm. No, you use both. Chris, what did you think? Interestingly, and I was looking very carefully for this, he did not pronounce her name in this round. So now I'm a little torn Ooh. because of the different pronunciations in the first and second round. So uh, that leads me to uh, double down on my, uh, my theory that uh, Carlos is actually the bluff this time. Ooh. Uh, Interesting. <laughs> Interesting take. <laughs> Wow. All right. Well, you know what else is interesting, Chris? That you haven't gone yet for the third let's round. So I wrap think up uh, let's wrap it up with that cannon fire. All right. So here we are in 1854, uh, London, in the, in the Houses of Parliament. Um, and with the disappearance of Michael Gardner, the Tories and Conservatives, who historically have been butting heads, are so jointly outraged that they uh, went ballistic and they ruled, uh, they, they did this. Um, a very technical uh, rule where they, uh, based on how everyone registered for this voting session, they kicked out 27, they suspended 27 members of parliament from this Irish Home Rule Party. The first one out the door was Eamon Reeves. And with that rule, with that move, the other smaller groups felt um, kind of emboldened because Reeves wasn't there. And uh, they had to vote and Ireland did not get independence. They were trounced in the voting because 27 of their members were kicked out for the day. Okay. Darren, does that jibe with your knowledge of Irish politics? Uh, I mean, I think it would just be much easier to invite the Irish down to the pub around the same time as the vote and forgo all the violence. So I, I just, I'm going to have to say no. I just, mm. you're, too, you're inventing too much work when you can take the simpler solution of just getting people drunk. Not logical enough for Darren. Carlos, what do you think? I feel like the Irish uh, would try to break into Parliament. They would straight up say, you're not going to keep us out. We're coming in. So they'd grab a tree or something, and they would pound the door in and break in for the vote. I don't think they'd be left outside for the vote. Okay. Yes, the audience seems to agree with you, Carlos. But you know what? You uh, and the audience might have an opinion. Uh, how about our armchair historians, right before we reveal who you think the bluffer is out of everyone here, Carlos, who do you think out of these other two is definitely the guy that isn't telling the truth? The notion of politicians agreeing to keep out the Irish, I mean, the notion of politicians agreeing on anything, I, I can't wrap my mind, my mind around it right now. But still, I feel like there would be more sass in the articles written about women pilots. So I'm going to say Darren is the bluffer. Okay. Carlos says it's you, Darren. Darren, who do you think is the bluffer today? I'm, I'm pretty confident it's it's Chris because I've been sort of sandbagging the whole time. Um, I have uh, far too much knowledge of typography from having written software code to manipulate 
true type fonts over the years and I, I know in fact that lowercase letters are named from being in the lower drawer oh so um, you all right so you do agree with Carlos's t- story there Darren yes all right all right so Chris is the bluff according to Darren Chris what say you who do you think of these two is not telling the truth Interestingly, I'm going to level the playing field because as much as I gave Carlos points for uh, the fun in pronouncing Mesopotamia and Mesopotamian, just fun words to say, I still go back to that moment, uh, very telling for me, where he took a deep breath in the middle of his round two story. And on that body language alone, I think Carlos is the bluff. Where I breathed, mm. Alan. I breathed. You breathed air. Because <laughs> I breathed, Carlos. You paused. Very long breath. He's at a higher elevation than Florida there in Illinois, so that might have something to do with it. Um, Well, I don't know who the bluffer is, but I do know that our tech knows, right, Adam? Indeed, I do, Alan. So uh, we're going to have to put all of our guests on the stage, our historians extraordinaire, and we will now ask the question everyone's been wondering was it Carlos? Or could it have been Darren? It could even, was it Chris? Well, I'm going to tell you right now. Ladies and gentlemen, the bluff this whole time has been Chris. (laughs) I knew it. It was Chris the whole time. Good job, Chris. You nearly pulled the wool over their eyes. Yes, but you didn't fool Darren. Way to go, Darren. You properly picked the bluff for this episode, and I hope you listening or watching us on YouTube also picked the correct bluff. But if you didn't, we hope you enjoyed our tale of history here on History Bluffs. And don't forget to subscribe or like us on Spotify, on iTunes, on Amazon Music. And yes, we can also be found in visual form on YouTube. Isn't that right, Adam? That's right, everywhere you get your podcasts. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to History Bluffs, and we will catch you next time. Be sure to tune in. We've got so much more history. If we haven't finished with you, don't finish with us. See you soon. 